We are so glad you are with us in these video classes to continue our studies in the book of Acts. We are taking one chapter each class. Verse-to-verse -verse analysis is valuable when you are in teaching sections of the New Testament. I mean like the epistles, Philippians, James. While there is teaching in the book of Acts, the structure of Acts is narrative a sequence of events involving people and places. So in my judgment, taking a chapter, a class, is a good approach. And so this time we are in Acts chapter 21, and I'll begin with four fast facts. Paul is almost preoccupied with his intention to go to Jerusalem. More about that in this study. The third missionary journey ends at verse 17, and Paul reports to brethren about God's work through his activities. Violent persecution is reported again, this time in Jerusalem, and we'll come to that in verses 27 through 36. We're glad you're with us. Acts 21, I'm going to read the first 16 verses. And when he had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And dealing down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. 
And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manson of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. As chapter 21 opens, Luke is giving us a quick sketch of Paul's travel back toward the east to Tyre, Caesarea, then down to Judea and Jerusalem. Let me refer to the map that you see on the screen there that we used on Wednesday night, and you can see that we are on what is sometimes called the return trip. Chapter 21 begins with this summary of travel from Miletus, eventually to Tyre, and then to Jerusalem. Now, I had mentioned in an earlier class, Paul, especially in the third missionary journey, isn't traveling alone. There is a team of people with him, including, at this point, Luke. Notice, Luke, the writer, says, We had parted. We came. We prayed. Luke is with the group. And I had missed this in my earlier studies, but I love the touching scene at verse 5. They landed in Tyre. The ship had to be docked a few days to unload cargo. It is not a time to sightsee or relax. Paul and his companions find the Christians there, and they spend time together. And for the first time in the book of Acts, children are mentioned. Whole families came out to bid farewell to the group. And what did they do? They had a prayer meeting, kneeling down on the beach we prayed. That's verse 5. From Tyre to Ptolemais, one day with Christians there, then Caesarea, visiting Philip and his family. Then something happened that relates to Paul's passion to get back to Jerusalem. There sometimes is raised a textual issue in this paragraph. I'll just mention this briefly and share with you my present understanding. Back in Acts 19.21, and then after that in Acts 20, and here in chapter 21, Paul is compelled to get back to Jerusalem, and it says, the Holy Spirit told him this. Yet here, in 21.4, the disciples in Tyre said to Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And their understanding was the Spirit didn't want him to go. My conclusion is they knew what the Spirit told Paul of bonds and imprisonment in Jerusalem, and they were concerned about that, and their conclusion was for Paul not to go. Luke makes it very clear. Paul's interest in getting to Jerusalem was prompted by direct communication from the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's what we see next. We are introduced to this prophet Agabus who came down from Judea. This is something that wasn't routine. I want you to listen again to verse 11 in Acts chapter 21. Listen again to verse 11. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt 
and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. The people who knew Paul and witnessed this were disturbed. And they reacted as you would expect. They urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Paul said he was ready for this. Faith is the explanation for this. Listen to verses 15 and 16 where it all is cleared up. After these days we got ready and went to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manson of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. And there is a phrase right before this paragraph, let the will of the Lord be done. About Agabus, it was not by vague premonitions or subjective thoughts, but through plain words spoken by the Holy Spirit through a prophet that Paul received such information. Notice also in this section, four daughters of Stephen. These are the New Testament counterpart of such Old Testament prophetesses as Miriam in Exodus 15.20, Deborah in Judges 4.4, 4, Noadiah in Nehemiah 6.14, and Huldah in 2 Kings 22.14. They were not evangelists. They were used by God to impart information in appropriate settings for women. Acts 21, let's continue at verse 17 down to verse 26. When we had come to Jerusalem, remember Luke is with them, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles who forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the man, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So in Acts 21.17, the third missionary journey comes to an end. All in Jerusalem 
received by brethren there. After kind greetings, Paul reports on his work. I want you to notice how this is framed. He related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Well, this is characteristic humility we always observe in the Apostle Paul. He seeks no praise or credit for himself. It was God's work through him. When it is put that way, faithful brethren react as described in verse 20. When they heard it, they glorified God. They didn't glorify Paul. They glorified God who was the origin, the source of all this work that was being done through Paul. That's a very important point. Then, attention, verse 20, turns to all the Jews and their allegiance to the law, even among believers. Listen carefully. It says here, you see, brothers, it was said to Paul, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, they are also zealous for the law. Now, verse 21 is a key. They have been told about you. They're saying this to Paul. They have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. The concern was, what can we do about this? Let's stop here and remember some basic things. Paul, in his preaching, consistently said, you should now obey Christ, not Moses. Let's take nothing away from the clarity of that. Paul, in his preaching, consistently said, you should now obey Christ, not Moses. I want you to listen to something we read earlier back in Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39. And when we were back in that part of our study, we said that this is the core of Paul's message to Jews and Gentiles. Acts 13, 38 and 39. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone, is, uh, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Paul was very clear. There was a change. It could be said from Moses and the law to Christ and the gospel. But Jews, even those who had been baptized, found this extremely challenging. It was generally not a concept that just immediately flipped a switch. Then there were false teachers. Remember the Judaizers who made things worse, insisting that you couldn't be saved without keeping the law. While Paul is away on his missionary journey, these issues continue to brew and gain traction in and around Jerusalem. Paul had never said, forsake Moses, in some tone of disrespect or ridicule. Paul simply spoke the truth that the old covenant ended, and now everybody should hear, believe, and obey the gospel of Christ and live under his authority. Paul never tried to wipe out 
Jewish culture. In fact, he continued to practice some of their customs which didn't contradict the gospel. I I just think I need to say that again. Paul never tried to wipe out Jewish culture. He continued, in fact, to practice some of the customs of the Jews which didn't contradict the gospel. But the rumors and agitation and jealousy created a climate for false teachers. That became the first major issue in the churches, the break with the old covenant. Now, brethren in Jerusalem want Paul to do something to ease the tension and clear the air. They do not ask him to compromise anything he taught. We know he wouldn't do that. They don't demand that Paul sin. We know he wouldn't do that. There is no reason to believe James and the elders would ask Paul to compromise. So we have those givens as we navigate this passage. They ask him to participate in one of these Jewish customs that contains no contradiction with the gospel. And that's what this is that is revealed in chapter 21 that we read in verses 23 to 26. I believe the word law in verse 24 is not the law of Moses, but the customs of the Jews, as described in the surrounding context. Do you see anything in these four verses that reflects that Paul sinned against God? I don't either. No. This is about making it clear where he stood. Paul still held respect for the Jewish people and their customs. So don't let verse 24 bother you. It's not God's law given through Moses that Paul continued to practice in some sort of a compromise deal. It was Jewish law, particularly the vows and customs here described. Continuing at verse 27, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, He even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, 
some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, <clears throat> he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying away with him. I want you to notice <clears throat> the language Luke uses, the words and phrases that convey how violent this disturbance was, stirred up, laid hands on him. All the city was stirred up. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. All Jerusalem was in confusion. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, the violence of the crowd, verse 35. Then the word mob in verse 36. <clears throat> Paul is attempting to his best to show he is not opposed to all Jewish customs and culture. Yet it appears from this his enemies were already determined to find some way to take him away from the Lord's work. Verses 37 through 40. 37 down through 40. I'm noticing the passages are not correct on the slide there, but I'm going to read the last part of Acts chapter 21. That means 37 down through verse 40. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. And that brings us up into the first part of chapter 22. Paul, as a Roman citizen, had a right to speak to the people. We'll see what he said in the next class. That's Acts chapter 21. One commentator said about this chapter, the great feature of the chapter is that of Paul's being mobbed in the temple and rescued by the Romans who took him into protective custody, beginning a long period of imprisonment for the Apostle Paul, an imprisonment that would not end until Satan had enlisted the Roman Empire as a persecutor of the church. Our takeaways. Number one, it is not without purpose that Luke reports to us the warm hospitality and the closeness of Christians. Paul endured hardship, but not alone. Not during this third journey. Christians in all these places at great risk extended fellowship and hospitality to Paul and expressed to him their love and respect and appreciation for what he was doing. Christians encouraged one another, and there wasn't any question that's what God intends.
Our love for God and for each other ought to show up in deeds, words, sharing, hospitality, encouragement, and in prayer. There are prayer meetings all through the book of Acts, which ought to be quite impressive to us. There is, in verse 14, a statement that should have a place in our hearts and lives. Obviously, let the will of the Lord be done. I know what the written will of the Lord is. That is, I can read what the Lord wants me to know and do. As to his providential will in the events on earth, I don't have access to God's mind to know how he will work things out. What must enter in, therefore, is trust. Trust where we are resigned to whatever God permits to happen. It is verbalized in this phrase, let the will of the Lord be done. Number three, we cannot compromise, but there are times when we can go the extra mile to be clear with people about what we are not opposed to. I want to repeat, this is very important in Acts 21. In the vows and customs of the Jews, Paul did not compromise his faith in Christ. What he did was make a statement about what he wasn't opposed to. He gave clarity to his position that it is all right to keep Jewish customs that do not contradict the gospel. That shows Paul's interest in clarity and his extra mild determination to be clear and relate to Jews in those matters that are neutral. Number four, it's hard to learn facts in the middle of an uproar. The Bible is not confusing, but sometimes the writers of the Bible report how confused men were in various episodes. We know that today, when there is a riot, Forensic criminal determination is sometimes extremely difficult. What this communicates to us is, for there to be clarity, there needs to be order and peace. If everybody is yelling at everybody, talking over everybody, and anger and emotion is at high volume, it is extremely hard to learn anything, to get facts, and to arrive at good conclusions. The Jerusalem meeting we studied back in chapter 15 is an example of a good meeting. These riots and disturbances are not good places to learn truth and bring people together. Number five, there is in the persecution Paul endured some parallel with what the Lord went through. I found this in Stott's commentary. Both Jesus and Paul, one, were rejected by their own people, arrested without cause and imprisoned. Two, were unjustly accused and willfully misrepresented by false witnesses. Three, were slapped in the face in court. Four, were hapless victims of secret Jewish plots. Five, heard the terrifying noise of a frenzied mob screaming away with him, six were subjected to a series of trials. Jesus, 
by Annas the Sanhedrin, King Herod Antipas, and twice by Pilate, Paul by the crowd, the Sanhedrin, King Herod Agrippa II, and the two procurators, Felix and Festus. Paul's suffering and death certainly was not equal to Jesus' situation in terms of atonement. But what this tells us is, when God's will is your fixed purpose, what happened to others before you may become your experience too. And in both Jesus and Paul, there is opportunity for us to see how the faithful suffer and strive to have such discipline and godly character. We are ready, if we need be, to endure the same and without complaining to God. Number six, I believe this is a good example for us in verse 20. When they heard Paul's report of people obeying the gospel, it says, when they heard it, they glorified God. Every time we hear of people obeying the gospel, it should cause us to glorify God, to praise him and be thankful for good hearts. The glory was not directed to Paul or the apostles or to any particular method or set of methods. Rather, they glorified God. And then, I'm touched, I want to say again, by the presence of entire families at Tyre in verse 5. Children were included. When Christian parents include their children in events and gatherings like this, powerful memories are created, which can be a part of the entire influence children need. That's our study of Acts chapter 21. I apologize that I had some things on the chart that I should have corrected before recording this, but I think we have the essence of what occurred according to Luke in Acts chapter 21. And that will take us to chapter 22, and that is set for January 27. Thank you for listening.